1 Samuel 13 and 14, hear the word of the Lord. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished the offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your, your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Now moving to chapter 14. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know what jo- that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozaz and the name of the other, Senna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. 
And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furlough's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people, the garrison, and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And then if you'll drop down to verse 20. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond beth And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, and Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes became bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found, for now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. And then if you'll drop down to verse 43. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. Will I die? And Jonathan said, God do so to me, and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die? who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan, so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're reading a book, or if you're watching a movie, or watching a play, and you know beforehand that it's categorized as a tragedy, you know that at some point something's going to start to go wrong. And you're kind of sitting on the edge of your seat as things go along, and you're, you're looking for clues about when the main character is going to slip up, and things are going to start to go badly. Well, unfortunately, we are in uh, uh, something like a tragedy here, but it started well. Last week, Robbie preached on the first actions of the new king, Saul. The people had asked for a king, and God had given them Saul, and Saul was very well equipped to be this king. He was humble, and he was strong. He became a good leader. He, he uh, He wasn't accumulating things for himself. He was modest, and he started very 
well. And now, unfortunately, in these two chapters, we start to see some character flaws and some mistakes that down the road will lead to greater problems. And we find a contrast here between Saul and his own son, Jonathan. And the way this is set up, and you can see this in your outline, we have Jonathan's valor in attacking a garrison of the Philistines, Saul's foolishness. And then once again, Jonathan's valor in attacking another garrison of the Philistines. And then we have, once again, Saul's foolishness. And so we have this contrast back and forth between son and his valor, his courage, and father who is uh, doing foolish things. Their actions serve in a couple ways to us. Their actions serve as either examples or warnings, examples of how to act as believers and warnings about how not to act. But even more than that, they point out both their need and our need of a Savior. So let's look at how this section goes back and forth. We have Jonathan's valor. You remember that Samuel had predicted that if they got a king, he would recruit people for a standing army. Well, lo and behold, that's what was necessary. If you look at chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with him, and 1,000 were with his son, Jonathan. Now, we've never met Jonathan. He comes out of nowhere here as a grown man. We find out later who he was. In verse 22, we find out that he was actually his son. And so he had to be a young man, and that would put Saul in his middle age somewhere, and that gives us a clue about his family and that he's made his son a captain. Now, it doesn't say how, uh, but Jonathan, it says in verse 3, defeated the garrison of the Philistines. So there was a garrison, there was a, a group of Philistines, and somehow Jonathan went and he attacked that garrison and he defeated them. Now, that became known to the rest of the Philistines as well. And to catch you up, if you haven't been in this series, this is the, the main opponent. There are other opponents around, around Israel, but this is the main opponent. Uh, from the time of the judges up until the time of David, the Philistines, they were the main opponent of Israel. And they outnumbered Israel, as we'll see. And Jonathan was able to attack one of the garrisons, but the rest of the Philistines heard about it. And then we find Saul wanting all the Hebrews to hear about it as well. So verse 3, it says the Philistines heard about it. Verse uh, 3 also, it says Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now just as a, a little note here, the, the Hebrews, the term Hebrews, it's, it's a little difficult to figure out who the Hebrews were. For us, Hebrews and Israelites are exactly the same people. But it looks like, as we go through this text, it looks like that Hebrews was a bigger category. And usually the word Hebrews was not used by the Israelites to describe themselves. Usually it was used by the opponents of Israel with a kind of sneer, the Hebrews. So this was not a, not a respectful term. And here, though, we find Saul saying, let the Hebrews hear. So it looks like Hebrews was a bigger category, and the Israelites were a subcategory of the Hebrews. For example, if you look at verse 7, it says that some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land. So when people start deserting, it's the Hebrews that were starting to desert. And then if you look at verse 19 of chapter 13, it says... Um, 
Here we find it on the the lips of the Philistines. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, and here you can hear the sneer, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. And then more clearly in chapter 14, in verse 11, we read this. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes. And then if you look at verse 21 of chapter 14, we find the distinction between the two groups. Verse 21 says, now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines, so there were Hebrews on the Philistine side, uh, before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So there were Hebrews, this bigger category of, of, of the Semitic people, and then they had gone over to the Philistines, so now they were turning and they were joining the Israelites. So that's just a, a side note. So as you read through the Old Testament, uh, Hebrew and Israelite is not necessarily exactly the same thing, although there's overlap. Now, Um, Israel heard of the victory. If you look at verse 4, back in chapter 13, verse 4, it says, All Israel heard it said that who had defeated the garrison? It says that Saul had defeated the garrison. So Saul's getting the credit. He's the general, so he gets the credit. But actually, Jonathan had done the work. And then uh, Saul called them out to join in for the fight in verse 4. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. Now, we find out that they were badly outnumbered. There were 3,000 to begin with, but if you look at the Philistines, verse 5, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, men and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. Now, that gives us an idea that there's some exaggeration going on. Sand, like the sand of the seashore. So just as a technique, there's exaggeration here, but they were badly outnumbered. So that's the first thing, Jonathan's valor in attacking this overwhelming army. And then we have Saul's foolishness. And that takes place in verses 8 to 15 of chapter 13. We don't know when, but Samuel, Samuel's the prophet, who had anointed Saul, he had told Saul, wait seven days. Wait seven days and I will come. And Saul waited seven days, but he didn't wait quite long enough. And so he says he waited seven days and Samuel didn't come, so Saul took something into his own hands. He said, bring the burnt offering to me, bring the peace offering. And then in verse 9, it says, he offered the burnt offering. Now, we don't know if he did that with his own hands or if he had the, the priests do that, but he was the one that was making this happen. And as soon as he finishes, Samuel shows up and said, what have you done? So the timing is terrible. He says, what have you done? And Saul's response is very reasonable, isn't it? He said, the people are melting away, my, my troops are disappearing, the Philistines are at the gates, and so he, he actually sounds very pious here, doesn't he? And I had not sought the favor of the Lord. Then he says, so I forced myself. So he's, he's acting like he's, he's being very pious, and he's saying, this was, this was put upon me, I had to do this, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I did it. And then Samuel says, You've done very foolishly. So here we have the first foolish thing that Saul did. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. And then there's a very, very serious penalty for this foolishness. Samuel told him, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. That's really remarkable, isn't it? 
He would have established Saul's kingdom over Israel forever if Saul had not uh, responded foolishly. And he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. So his, his dynasty would be cut off. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. He left him. He left Saul. And so what do we have here? We have another dynasty cut off. If you've been in this series, this is the third dynasty that's cut off. In the first chapters, we found out that Eli, the high priest, that eventually his dynasty, a priestly dynasty, would be cut off. And then we have Samuel, that, that his sons did not walk in his ways, and so they did not want Samuel's sons to rule over them. So his dynasty was cut off, and now we have the third one here. Saul's dynasty is cut off as well. It could have been. It could have been perpetual, but because of his foolishness, it was not. And then Samuel left him. And this seems like a, a, lefty, a leaving of judgment, that he's walking away from Samuel and leaving, I'm sorry, of Saul and leaving Saul in a very, very difficult situation. There's some verses that I didn't read, but let me summarize them. Out of the 3,000 men, Saul had only 600 left. I read that in verse 15. And then we find out in verses 16 to 18 that the Philistine raiding parties, the guerrilla warfare sort of thing, they were able to go out and raid Israel at will without opposition. And then we find out that not only were the, the Israelites badly armed, or rather badly outnumbered, but also badly armed. They were going into battle with, with axes and, and, and plowshares or something. They were going out as a bunch of farmers to fight this professional army with chariots. Now, before we go on in the story, there is some discussion about what was wrong. Doesn't that seem kind of severe? What was wrong with what Saul did? And, well, certainly at least he didn't follow Samuel's instructions to wait seven days. But more seriously, he didn't wait for the word of the Lord. Samuel was the prophet. Samuel was the one that brought the word of the Lord to all Israel and even to the king. And so Saul was not waiting for the word of the Lord. He was moving ahead on his own instead of waiting for direction from God. And then there is also the question of, asking or ordering or even personally making the sacrifices. Who should be doing that? The priest should be doing that. And you remember that Samuel was a fascinating character because he was the closest thing after Moses in the whole Old Testament to being a prophet. He certainly was a prophet. To being a priest. He was raised by Eli to be a priest. And he's sort of kind of ruler kingish as well. So he was he was after Moses, the closest one to have all three offices, but no one was allowed to have all three offices. And the kings were not allowed to be priests and to take the sacrifices into their hands. But what is very clear in verse 13, Samuel says to him, you did not obey the command of the Lord. You didn't obey the command of the Lord. So that's the first contrast. Jonathan's valor, Saul's foolishness. Now we have Jonathan is kind of on a roll here. And so he beat one garrison of Philistines, so he decides he's going to take on another. But this time he doesn't take his thousand men with him. He takes his armor bearer. So just Jonathan and his armor bearer, because Jonathan and Saul were the only ones that had weapons of war. 
and Saul was in the camp. Now look at verse, uh, look at chapter 14, how this, this goes. It says, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Notice where Saul was. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the palm granite cave at Migron. So far, so good. The people who were with him were about 600, so it's now gone from uh, 2,000 to 600, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. Now, that's significant. This is the, the, the grandson of Eli, and Eli's been rejected. Eli's sons have been rejected, and this is the grandson. And it it seems to be that the writer here is trying to set something up. Where did Samuel go? Samuel departed. The legitimate priest of the Lord, the one who took the place of Eli, he's gone. And so Saul has to recur to this rejected line of priests. So now we have a rejected line of kings that is recruiting a rejected line of priests. And it's screaming out here that this is the second best. This is inferior uh, work here that's going on because we have Saul and we have this rejected line of priests. Now, um, what happened was Jonathan said, well, let's just go up. Let's just crawl on hands and feet to go up to the garrison that had a, a, a apparently impregnable position over the Israelites. And he said, let's see what happens here. And if you want, if you want um, one verse, one verse takeaway. I know there's a lot of de- there are a lot of details here, but if you want a one verse takeaway from this section, it's verse 6 of chapter 14. Jonathan said to the young man, who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. That's his declaration. And I want you to look at that, and I want you to notice some things about that declaration. On the one hand, he declared without wavering what the Lord could do. He said nothing can stop the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And there were just two of them. Nothing can stop the Lord. That is his declaration of faith. The Lord can do all his holy will, and he doesn't need our help. That's a strong declaration of faith. But notice also the modesty, he says. Perhaps, maybe, the Lord will act here. So he he knew what the Lord could do, but he was modest about what the Lord would do. And that's, that's a, an excellent example for believers. We can declare boldly, the Lord can do all his holy will. He can do whatever he wants to do in accordance with his own nature and character. But what he will do, we do not know. And so we not, ought not to be presumptuous about what he will do. Now, his plan was to give the Philistines an option about where to fight. He said, let's show ourselves. And if they say, stay where you are, then we'll just stay here. And if they say, come on up, then we will just take that as a sign from the Lord. Now, how he landed on that sign from the Lord, I, I'm not sure. And I don't know what the lesson is exactly there, but it's certainly a bold plan of action. If they tell us to come up, then we will come up and we will meet them on their ground. 
They get to the top. The, uh, the, the Philistines say, come on up. And they kind of taunt them. Oh, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the rocks. And here they come. Come on up and we'll teach you a thing or two. And they come up. And then what happened? Um, when they get to the top and the Lord begins to take over here. And we've seen this before. We've seen the Lord thunder against the Philistines. And now, once again, he, he, he causes a panic among the Philistines. Jonathan and his armor bearer have some initial success. There's a rout. Uh, they, they start uh, panicking. The earth begins to quake because the Lord is taking over this battle. And then we have the Israelites joining in the battle. And we have the Philistines start slaughtering each other. And then we have the Hebrews who had, who had abandoned the Israelites, and now the Hebrews are coming back and joining their, their cousins, probably the Israelites, and they join in the battle. So Jonathan was exactly right. The Lord is not hindered in saving his people by many, or by, in this case, two. Now, um, here we have Jonathan's valor, and now uh, what can we take away? As I said, we should believe and affirm what God can do, we should be modest about what we think God will do. And at the same time, we need to recognize that God usually acts through human agents, through believers, and so we should be willing to step out and take some bold and even risky moves of faith. And then we have Saul's foolishness. What's the foolishness of Saul? He proclaimed a fast, a fast in the middle of the, the battle. If you look at verse 24 of chapter 14, um, it says that the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. This is the second time we read about the men of Israel being hard-pressed. If you look at chapter 13, verse 6, it says they were hard-pressed by the overwhelming forces of the, the Philistines. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble for the people were hard-pressed, then you look at chapter 14, verse, uh, verse 24, and the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. It says here, so Saul had laid an oath. It, it may be better for Saul had laid an oath on the people. So what's it saying here? They were hard-pressed by the Philistines, and now they're hard-pressed by whom? By Saul himself. He's in the middle of, middle of the battle. He says, nobody can eat today until we finish this, this route. Now, Jonathan didn't know about that. Jonathan was out there doing his thing with his armor bearer and and uh, fighting the Philistines, Jonathan comes into the forest. There's some honey on the ground. Jonathan dips his, his staff and he eats some honey. And he's, he's, uh, his eyes are brightened, it says. He, he gets some energy. And then the other soldiers say, oh, Jonathan, uh, you don't know about this, but your father proclaimed a fast. Nobody's allowed to eat until tonight. And Jonathan said, my father did a foolish thing. And this is the second thing. He, he, he caused this, this victory to be smaller than it otherwise would have been. How much better, verse 30, how much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found, for now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. And then you go to the, the end of that section, verses 43 to 46. Saul learns about, through a complicated procedure, Saul learns about his son eating honey. And Saul says, what have you done? Jonathan, verse 43, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. And here, it's not clear if this should be a question. I read it like a question or a statement. In our translation, it says, I will die. I think better probably that's a question. Will I die? 
over this little tiny offense that I ate some honey. You're going to kill me over that. And then Saul, he utters a second oath. He uttered an oath on anybody who would eat anything. And then he utters an oath against himself. And he says, God do so to me and more also. Dying you shall die, Jonathan. Dying you shall die, Jonathan. But then the people intervened. And they said, Jonathan saved us today. Shall Jonathan die? Who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. Not a hair of his head shall fall to the ground. For he has worked with God today. So the people, it says, ransomed. They bought back. They redeemed Jonathan. And then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines. And the Philistines went to their own place. So they didn't... They didn't uh, continue the battle against the Philistines. Now, there's a warning here, of course, about rash vows and threats and punishments. Probably parents should take that into account about speaking too quickly, uh, about, uh, about punishments and so on. Um, because notice what happened here. Saul ended up cursing himself, didn't he? He announced this second oath on himself. He said, God do to me, and even worse, if I don't kill Jonathan today. But he didn't kill Jonathan. And so he ended up cursing whom? He ended up cursing himself. Now, it's heartbreaking to read the beginning of Saul's undoing. And it reminds us that they, like we, were not the saviors. They, in fact, needed a savior. And that's becoming very clear in the case of, of uh, Saul and actually also in the case of Jonathan. Jonathan was the savior that day. Saul was not the savior. It says Jonathan was the savior that day, but then Jonathan needed the people to save him as well. Now, what was their argument? I want you to think about their argument here. Their argument was the savior of Israel should not die. The Savior of Israel should not die. That's what they said. They said, shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? And, and their argument is very strong, isn't it? The Savior of Israel should not die. And that is an argument that, that, that is presented once again in the New Testament. When we get to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, the cross of Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews. And the cross of Christ is folly to the Gentiles. Why? Because both the Jews and the Gentiles considered that what the people said was true. The Savior should not die. It was inconceivable to the Jews that the Messiah, that the promised Savior, would die. That, that, is a, that was a contradictory idea for them that that their Savior, the Savior of Israel, would die. And for the, for the Gentiles, it was, simply, it was simply foolish. The idea that, that, that you would follow somebody, uh, somebody who called himself the Savior, and that he had died. You see, Jonathan had brought about salvation by killing. But Jesus brought about salvation by being the Savior who died. That's, that's a stumbling block to Jews. That's foolishness to the rest of the world. But to those who believe it, it is the power of God for salvation. And that's the message here. 
As I pointed out, what's, what's the key idea here as on the lips of Jonathan? He says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. In his case, it was, it was whittled down to two. The Lord saved Israel by two, by Jonathan and his armor bearer. But it was eventually whittled down even more. That, that the Lord saved Israel, and not only Israel, the Lord saves all those from all the nations who will believe in him by one, by a Savior who didn't kill, but by a Savior who was killed. Nothing can save the Lord, can prevent the Lord from saving, even by, and especially by, a crucified and a resurrected Savior. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this story. There, there are warnings here. There are inspirations here. We thank you for the faith and the valor of Jonathan. It inspires us to have faith, to be modest, but to take steps of, of boldness when, when there's a need of the moment to do so. Uh, but we thank you that all this, both Saul's failings and Jonathan's valor, they point us forward to the need for a Savior, a Savior who in fact did die, who died for our sins, that we might be saved. And I pray for all of us that we would believe, that we would have that salvation that he died to give, and that having faith in Christ, that when the moment comes for us to step out in faith, that we would have a firm faith and declare that you will do all your holy will and that you will be pleased to use agents like us We thank you for the cross of Christ, a stumbling block to some, foolishness to others, but to us who believe, it is your power unto salvation. Amen.